So we're going to take a silent moment of prayer to get ready. And uh, I'll let you guys prepare your mind first, and then I'll close us out, out with a prayer, and we'll begin in God's Word. Let's pray. Fathers, we prepare to study your holy and divine word that lives and abides forever. We pray that you'll open our eyes, our hearts, our ears, our minds, so that we are challenged by the things that we will receive from you. And Father, may we be blessed by it. May we begin to trust even more in this thing that we call prayer. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I have to tell you before I get into this, sent uh, Brother Nathan back here a text yesterday. I said, <laughs> he's going to try to get even with me, but I sent him a text and I said, Nate, why don't you be a good boy today and leave Florida and Louisiana and Alabama and, and Georgia alone, all right? It was silent for a little bit. Nothing came back. He's usually pretty quick. And I was like, hmm. About an hour later, it goes, question mark. What are you talking about? (laughs) And I said, the hurricane is named Nate. And it's getting ready to hit ground. I'm telling you to be a good boy. And he goes, oh, you got me. (laughs) So, So Nate was a pretty good boy. He was only a category one. He asked me this morning, he said, was it a tropical storm or was it a hurricane? And I said, because you're windy enough, you became a hurricane, one, and not just a tropical storm. <laughs> and talking about this kind of stuff, I got, a, I, got a, I got a buddy, and of course his name's Bubba. You know, he, he lives around here, but I went to see him, and he, uh, he was digging a big hole. And I said, what are you doing? He said, well, he had been doing some research. He saw a, he, he saw a newspaper article that said that, these um, architects and, and archaeologists out in California had dug down and about 10 feet down they found some copper wires and thought that they had run into telecommunication connections that goes back almost 100 years. And so they were spouting off about that and these fellows from New York did the same thing then. They thought, well, they settled here first. I wonder how far we go back. And they dug down and at about 20 feet they found some wiring, and they thought, well, we must be close to 150 or 200 years ago, so we're ahead of them. And I said, well, well, how's that affect you? What are you doing? And he dug down 30 feet, and he said, I didn't find anything. And I said, well, Bubba, doesn't I make you a little bit upset? He goes, oh, no, I'm excited. He said, I said, how are you excited about that? You didn't find anything. He said, that means we done went wireless 300 years ago. <laughs> We're way ahead of everybody. S- speaking of wireless communication, though, isn't that what prayer is? Prayer is the original wireless communication. It, it's something that dates all the way back. Yeah, Bubba's cool. I, but it dates all the way back. And so I want to 
talk a little bit about prayer this morning. So I got some personal questions, but I don't want you to raise your hand or show any signs. I just want you to think about these things. When you pray, who do you pray for? Pray for yourself. You pray for loved ones, friends, um, co-workers, dare I say, enemies, strangers. Who do we pray for most of the time? And then it goes to, what do I pray for? What am I in prayer about? Am I in prayer about things and circumstances that's happening in life, the troubles that's going on, or am I thanking Him and praising Him for the good things that's happened? What do I spend my time praying about? Third question, do I really believe it? Do I really believe in prayer? Do I believe that my silent thoughts, you know, I'm, I can pray in silence, and do I really think that my silent thoughts can move the hands of God? I mean, really. Just think about it. Close to 7 billion people that he's got to worry about. Billions of angelic beings, good and bad. Galaxies, stars, planets, everything going across and moving just the way it's supposed to be. The oxygen level here just right so that we can breathe. Does God really think that what I think is important and I say in silence, is it really important to Him? Does it matter? Does it encourage me to keep praying or does I sometimes think God thinks this is a little thing and he's probably not even listening so do I become discouraged well I want to give you a biblical illustration an example of what happens when you pray so if you brought your Bibles with you and you want to open them up to Revelation chapter 8 we're going to start out there we're going to go to about three or four places But we're going to start out in Revelation 8. And for those of you who are more comfortable seeing it up on the screen, we've got it there as well. But do my prayers in silence actually help to move the hands of the one who is in control of the universe? I believe that this section of scripture right here, just five verses, is one of the most profound illustrations of prayers that we will see. So let's begin in verse 1 with, And when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. Oh, he was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which is before the throne of God. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. And then the angel took the censer, and he filled it with fire from the altar. And then he threw it to the earth, And there were noises and thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. And I say, isn't that a beautiful picture of what happens when we pray? 
I mean, you think about everything that's going on. God is no doubt busy. I mean, and heaven is busy. It's a busy place. When I read up to this point, it's filled with angels. Some are flying and they're going, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Some are on harps. Some are worshiping. There is things going on and he's busy and he's got spiritual warfare going on all around that he's got to take care of. He's got to monitor all kinds of things. But when I read this, I see that in an instant, when these seven angels appear and step out, silence, like a pin drop. And why is that silence? What, what's getting ready to happen? Something major, something phenomenal must be going to happen if heaven has just gone silent for the span of a half an hour. It says these seven angels come out and seven trumpets are given to them. And then another mighty angel. These aren't just regular angels. These are the ones before the throne of God. And this mighty angel comes out and he brings the golden censer. And that dates all the way back to the Old Testament tabernacle times whenever they used to bring the golden censer with the fire that would go on the incense to light it up. And it says, speaking of incense, that there was much incense given to him. Do you know what incense is for? We use it today to make the room smell nice, don't we? To put us in a mood to worship or whatever it is. But at that time, it was also used to offer up things to God to make it a sweet smell and to make it acceptable to Him. It was part of the offering system and different things. And so here's a part of the offering and the memorial that's going up before God and it's much incense. And I want you to look at what's going on with it. It says it's mixed with the prayers of saints. It's mixed with our prayers that goes together. And that All at once, the incense with the prayers is going up before God. And He is listening. And He is smelling. And He's saying, oh, that's good. And then I want you to know, we say, okay, God has stopped, but does He act? Look at verse 5 again. The angel took the fire from the altar and he cast it down to the earth. And there was noises, thunderings, lightnings, and earthquake. You know what that is? That's action. That's after the prayers have went up before the throne of God and He has now smelled them and heard them. He is now giving commands for action to be placed upon our prayers. He hears them. There is infinite power in the prayers of saints because it says that you and I are saints when we are washed in the blood of the Lamb. And we are now a Christian. It says you are a saint. You are sanctified. You are set apart and holy now. So God pays attention to these prayers. That's a beautiful thought. So I ask you again now. Do you think God really cares and stops to listen about the prayers that we offer up to him? Yes, it's a big deal. But now I want you to track with me a little bit. That's just thinking about our individual prayers. But what if? What if an entire congregation 
an entire body of Christ comes together in unity and begins to pray. You know, they say that there's power in numbers. Wonder what happens when an entire congregation would pray about something in earnest detail. I wonder what would happen. I'm glad you asked. If you would, turn to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. And again, it'll be up on the board for for those that like it there better. But leading up to Acts chapter 12, Peter has went to Cornelius. We'll study that part next just real quickly. We'll touch on it. But a lot of things begin to happen and Gentiles are now being brought into Christianity and the Jews don't like it and they go to Herod and now Herod is rampaging the church. We begin now. It's causing quite a stir and in verse 1 of Acts chapter 12 it says that about this time when all of this is happening Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some of those that are in the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now, this time was during the days of unleavened bread, so when they had arrested him, they put Peter in prison and delivered him to catch this, four squads of soldiers to keep him. Because they were intending to bring him before the people after the Passover. But now Peter was there in prison. He was kept there. But constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping. He was bound with two chains between two soldiers and sets of guards, were before the door and keeping the prison. But behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side, and he raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And when he did, the chains fell off of his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird yourself up, tie on your sandals. And so he did. And then he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. Well, he went out and he followed him and he didn't know what was done first by the angel was real. He thought it was all a vision. He thought he was dreaming. But when they were past the first and second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city and it opened up on its own accord. And they went down the street and immediately the angel departed from him. Oh, let's get an idea of what's going on here, guys. You know... Herod's getting his kicks by pleasing the Jews. He's, he's on a power surge right now. And so, since it pleased him to do away with, with James, they, he goes after public enemy number one, Peter. But, again, it's a holy day, so they're going to put him in prison and wait till it's afterwards. Well, while he's in there, guess what happens? There's prayers going on. Peter's asleep. An angel comes in and kicks him in the side out of that deep sleep. Have you ever been woken up out of a deep sleep like that? I have. I remember it well. It was about 4 o'clock in the morning, and I had a drill sergeant kicking me and saying, Get up, private! Get your goat-smelling gluteus maximus up and get out there on the road. He used some, some army talk instead of gluteus maximus. But anyway... 
when you do that, you don't think well, do you? Your mind takes a little bit to get organized, oriented to reality. So here, the angel's having to tell him, Peter, gird yourself up. Peter, tie on your sandals. Peter, you forgot your cloak. Follow me. So, you know, here he is in a stupor. And what does it say about it? He says he don't think it was real, did he? He thought it was a, a dream. It, most of the time, we don't really think it's real, the things that God is working in our lives all the time, do we? We just think maybe that was just a coincidence. But believe me, it's real. God working in your life, answering prayers. Was Peter praying? He wasn't praying, was it? Who was praying? Look up verse 6 again. He was asleep. He was bound with two chains. And in verse 7, the Lord appeared to him and got him out. We've got all kinds of things going on. But verse 5 says that while he was sleeping, the church as a whole was praying for him. The group. The whole body of Christ. And look what's going on. He's got four squads of soldiers gardening. He's got two chains around his arms. They're chained to two more guards. He's got guards at the door. Two sentry post guards on the way out. None of them see him leave. Chains drop off. Doors that were locked open up. The gate to the city opens up on its own accord. And I like that one. I mean, you know, this big gate on its own accord just opens up and they walk out. And finally he goes, hey, this is real. I'm on the outside. So then, let's keep reading the story. What happens next? Because this is kind of cool too. Verse 11. When Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord was doing this and sent his angel and delivered me from the hands of Herod and all the expectations of the Jews because they didn't want him around. So when he considered this, he thought, I need to go to where the church is and tell them about this. So he came to the house of Mary and John, whose surname was Mark, the mother of him, and there was many gathered together there doing what? What's it say? Yeah, praying. They were gathered there. They're still praying. He knocks on the door, it says, and a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice because of her gladness, she didn't open the gate to the door, but ran in and announced that Peter is standing outside. And they said to her, you're beside yourself. But she kept insisting that it was so. But so then they said, well, it must be his angel. So now Peter continued knocking, and so finally they went to the door, and they opened it. And when they saw him, what does it say? They were astonished. So then he waves his hand and motions to, for silence, and he declared all of the things that the Lord had done for him in the prison. And then he said, Go and tell these things to James and the other brethren. And he departed to another place. And then I like this closing verse. Then... As soon as it was his day, there was no small stir about what has become of Peter. All of those folks in the jail are looking around. Everything's gone. What became of Peter? I want to tell you what's become of Peter. It's what James chapter 5 verse 16 calls the prayers of a righteous man or a congregation availeth much, doesn't it? The prayers go up before the throne room of God and silence happens and prayers are listened to and prayers are heard 
and actions are taken and lightnings and thunders and earthquakes and noise happens and he slips out because of the prayers of the saints. But I want to tell you something else. Most of the time, even we, as we gather together as a group of people in prayer, we kind of doubt as well too, don't we? We still have that doubt because look at what those folks were doing. They were in prayer. Peter knocks on the door. Their prayers are what? Answered. What do they say? It's not him. It's his ghost. So what they're saying is, is I knew my prayer wasn't going to work. They got him anyway, didn't they? I knew it wasn't going to happen. Isn't that like us? They said, no, she insisted. It is. Folks, God is graceful. Even though we might doubt a little bit, He goes ahead and delivers on those prayers, even though we have doubt. He likes to surprise us like that a little bit. But now, let's turn to Cornelius. I want to see another illustration of somebody who prays and God answers those prayers in Acts chapter 10. So if you're there in your Bibles, it's two chapters to the left. And in Acts 10 and verse 4, there's a beautiful statement about what prayers are. It's kind of like that scene of Revelation 8 we saw a minute ago. When Cornelius observed the angel that spoke to him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And the angel replied to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up as a memorial before God. That's that vision, remember? Remember we said how that that's like an offering and a memorial up before God when our prayers ascend to the throne? He said, your prayers have ascended. God has heard and I am here to answer those prayers. And he tells them to send for a man named Peter. He's over in Joppa. You go and tell him to come. So now another vision is given to Peter. And he's told there's going to be men who's coming for you. You follow them. You go ahead and you go. And you do what they tell you to do. And he arrives back at Cornelius' house and is told the story. And in verse 31, Peter realizes and says, Cornelius, your prayers and your alms have been heard and remembered in the sight of God. Wow. Heaven stopped its singing. Harpers start their harping so that prayers from a Gentile convert could go up before him and be answered. You know, I would then like to challenge us as the body of Christ here at this location to follow these examples and be in fervent prayer. Not just about ourselves and our inner circle of friends, family, relatives, and things, but also the congregation, the body of Christ. You know, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5 that we are to pray without ceasing, but in everything to give thanks, because this is what? The will of God for you. So pray for yourself and your inner circle for sure. Christ did that too. But he also prayed for a lot of other folks. And that's what we need to become doing as a body of Christ together in unity. Because we move the hands of the one who moves the universe and controls it. One last example before we close. Exodus 32. All the way, we've had a couple in the New Testament. Let's go back to the old in Exodus 32 if you want. Here we find the golden calf incident and what's going on. Moses... He's up on the mountain. He's talking with God. While he's up there, 
the congregation of the Lord's people, they began to get impatient. Now I know, again, that doesn't affect anyone here. I've looked out and you all look really, really nice and calm and nobody here gets impatient or anxious about anything. But this is like preventative medicine. In case you ever do, remember this, okay? Remember this right here. They were anxious. They were tired of waiting. So they told Aaron, hey, we want you to make us a God that led us out of Egypt. And so he, he's doing that. And while he's doing that, Moses is before God. And then he says, they're taking longer in their conference call than what the people thought they should. You know how it is. And so they put it simply put, when they do that, God gets mad. Moses is still there. And he's madder than a hornet. Now we'll begin in verse 7 of Exodus 32 and take a look at what God says. He said to Moses, Go. Get down there. Just get out of my sight. Get down there for your people. Man, I thought these were God's people. (laughs) Wasn't these God's people? That you led out of Egypt. I thought God led them out of Egypt with the pillar of cloud and the fire, right? But no, God's upset with what's going on. Go get down to your people who you brought out of Egypt because they have corrupted themselves. They've turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They made a molded calf for themselves. And they are out of the way quickly in which I told them to stay in. They worshipped it. They sacrificed it. And you know what they said, Moses? This is your God that led you out of Egypt. Can you believe that? And then God says to Moses, I have now seen enough of these people. They are indeed a stiff-necked people. And Moses says, I've been trying to tell you that for the last several years. I've been dealing with them. They are stiff-necked rebels. But he said, leave me alone and let my wrath be kindled against them because I'm going to consume them. And then I will make of you a great nation. God was ticked off, wasn't he? He was pretty upset. He was getting on to them. They have worshipped something that they shouldn't have been doing. They've went quickly out of the way. He says, leave me alone. And I think the translation of consume them means they're in big trouble. Okay? I think they're in big trouble. But you know what? God is testing Moses here too when he said all of that to see how his leader is going to respond too. And Moses, bless his heart, he, he may get angry at times, strike the rock when he was supposed to talk to it. But you know what? He wasn't a proud man. He was humble. And so he humbles himself before God right here, and he goes into what is called intercessory prayer on behalf of the congregation of God that's down below. And he begins praying, and he says, God, you don't really want to do this. You know, if he had pride, he would have said, Oh yeah, I remember that promise that you made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that their seed was going to be the one that you blessed. But no, now I'm the guy. But Moses says no. He says, Lord, calm down a minute and think. You led the people out of Egypt. If you don't take them into the land you promised... The nations all around who are watching us will think that you didn't have enough power to deliver on your promise. Then, 
You also made a promise about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you would told a lie. And I know that you didn't do that either. So why don't you rethink about this? I don't want you making a new nation coming from me. So then, verse 11, Moses pleaded with the Lord, Why do you burn that hot against them? Why did you bring them out with the mighty hand? And now the people will say that you, you killed them in the mountains. You couldn't bring them. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see, he, he went to him in prayer. And what does verse 14 say happened? The Lord relented from the harm which he had said that he would do to his people. Moses went to bat in prayer and petition for a stiff-necked, rebellious people and said, Lord, have patience with them too. And the Lord, it says, relented. He listened. Your prayers, your prayers move the hands of the one who created the universe because he understands. You don't want all of the nations round about to think that you didn't do right and justly. The power of prayer, the greatest wireless communication that was ever invented. And as our worship team comes on back up today, let's just take a few things home with us. Realize the true power that lies in our silent communication to God. The power that is in that, not only as ourselves, but as a whole as a body of Christ, as a congregation of like believers, we move things. Heaven becomes silent. Chains drop off. Guards don't guard anymore. Miracles happen through the power of prayer. God's mind and hand can be touched to relent of some things that He might have thought about to see if it will actually come to pass the way He desires it to be. So, let's be, you and I, prayer warriors. Let's put our prayers before the throne of God as a holy memorial for self, for family, for congregation, for strangers, for the lost, for our leadership, for everything that is involved. Let's be in constant prayer. But I want you to know this too. If you're here today and you're not a Christian and you've been thinking about it and you feel a tug at your heart right now, you feel something out there that's tugging pretty hard, you know what that probably is? That's the prayers of somebody that their prayers have came up as a memorial before God like Cornelius' prayers did. Somebody has been praying for you To become a child of God. And the Spirit is working in this room today. He's here gathered together with us. And He is tugging at your heart because prayers by a mother, a father, a grandparent, a friend. Somebody has been in prayer for you. If you are here and you haven't been living the way that you should have. You're probably feeling a tug too. Because I'm sure that prayers have been offered up as that as well. In your behalf. And has come up before God as a sweet smelling odor. I pray that you realize that today is the day of salvation. Today is the first day of the beginning 
of the rest of your life. The Spirit says come. The Son and our God say come. Won't you today at this time, as the band will play this closing song, if you are ready to make a decision to answer the prayers that have been prayed on behalf of you, I pray that you make that decision today and you come on up and let us make that known and let's fix that because today is the first day of the rest of your life. Let's pray. Father, your word is alive and powerful and it's sharper than a two-edged sword. And our prayer this morning is is that it has reached out and it has cut to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow and has now determined the thoughts and the intents of the heart of those who have heard your word. And we pray that those thoughts and intents will now be acted upon in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen.